0: this Michelangelo senior, uh this absolute crap of a Substack stack mm. um, that is now going after the project 2025. So we are going to dismantle the bootlicking establishment mm. clown nonsense right here in real time. I put this thread out um, because I, initially, if you remember, remember when I texted you like two months ago, two, three months mm-hmm. ago, hell is even longer than that. And I said, Hey, check out this project 2025. This is really interesting. Um, No one was talking about it at that time. Matter of fact, there's only two like prominent people that I've heard talk about it. Uh, Dan Bongino talked about it for 30 seconds on one of his episodes, and that was about it. And then James Bacon, randomly, I was driving home from work one night and I saw that James Bacon was on Timcast. So I was like, oh, I'll watch this one. So I was listening to it because I know James Bacon was like an integral part of drafting this plan. Now we're going to go through it and like, I'm going to kind of explain a lot about where this is, was coming from, who's involved with it, and kind of what their thinking were, was. Because I, I, I talked to Robert Bose quite a bit. matter of fact, I'll probably see if he's not busy, if he can come in. Because I'm sure he, he can talk about this a lot, because he did a lot of work on this as well. I'll uh, text him real quick. Um, but they did a lot of great work on this. And they basically, I'm going to break down kind of what their thinking was when they did this. So you can kind of get an understanding of they tried to balance it out. So all questions were asked when they were creating this plan. It's actually very, very important. So uh, we'll get to that, though. But I did put it down in the chat. If you guys want to know what I'm talking about, I put put a thread together in that thread. I'm going to play some of these clips. I'm going to play these clips on on the space here so you guys can hear the clips if you're hearing them for the first time. Um, And then also down there is the full the full 920 page. (laughs) <laughs> document of the Presidential Transition Project called Project 25. And then also... The Robert. Whole... I'm sorry, what?
1: Robert just joined.
0: Oh, great. Awesome. So I'd, I'd like to get his thoughts on it as well. Um, and also, there's a lot of people that have asked me how they can get involved. There's some people who were uh, government whistleblowers that want to get involved. I have some friends that, that actually signed up to get involved, and you can get involved. So we're going to go through all this. And I was going to kind of save this as we got closer, you know, past closer to or through the primary. But now I'm already starting to see the establishment clowns coming out and trying to trying to lie about it and do hit pieces on it. So I think we should push back now since they're starting to push on it. They see the writing on the wall. We know what's going to happen in 2024 if we keep up the energy and keep voting and keep 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 our boots on the ground. So I think it's time we talk about it. So. You guys have to excuse me. I hope my voice stays. Uh, I was in Vegas all last week uh, for work. (laughs) So that's basically 13 hours a day of being on my feet and talking constantly. So I hope my voice stays. But uh, we're going to get through this. So anyway, Savvy, while the room is filling up, you were talking to me about a couple of things offline, about some things that you're seeing right now while we're waiting for everybody to get in here.
1: Yes. Okay, you guys. So um, I just wanted to hit on because... We need to really be watching um, the House Judiciary Committee hearings this week. They are chock full of things that, uh, as an American person, this should really sort of make all your spidey senses, right, go off. Um, uh, For instance, I'm going through through my notes, but we have the appropriations bill that's going to be talked about. I mean, they're already, they're already arguing on some of those counts. It's HR 4664, if you want to look it up. Um, You have your Department of Homeland Security hearings this week, various uh, measures. Uh, For instance, a lot goes back to Ukraine, funding Ukraine. Some of these are even being heard today, uh, using, uh, confiscated assets from Russia and Russian banks. It also goes into child trafficking. Then it talks about, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of comical that the fact that our, that the U S government just sounds like a mouthpiece for Ukraine at this point. Um, but those are some really, really big things that are on the horizon this week. It's very, very impactful. Um, and we need to talk about, too, Trash, what you had mentioned earlier and what we were just talking about. Because I, I do, a, a hill I want to die on is prison reform. I have talked to so many um, the former felons in the state of Georgia that were housed at Fulton, that were housed at DeKalb that are housed at Telfair. We have a J sixer at Telfair here, which is the most disturbing prison, I think here in the state of Georgia and they are having hearings or they did even just this morning, um, about, and I, Oh my gosh, I have so many notes. So I'm trying to please stop me. If, if well, then you, here I'll, uh,
0: I'll guide you. Yeah. Through it then. Okay. Cause I've got so them we-
1: all in red.
0: So we've been talking this morning, uh, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot going on everywhere and it's, it's like head on a swivel. Um, what led me into wanting to talk about the project 2025 so soon was we're seeing again, a lot of establishment goons coming out and trying to, uh, reframe what the plan actually is. They're citing the insurrection act when it's actually <laughs> a lot of it's not built on the insurrection act, but actually the, uh, <laughs> it's actually built on uh, the uh, Civil Service Reform Act of 1978. And this, is, this has everything to do with establishing the Office of, of Personnel Management. And this is how we can dismantle these permacrats uh, that are, that are in, in our government and start to peel back and remove the layers between the president uh, in the White House and, and an administrative state. But the reason we're talking about specifically what Savvy's talking about with Georgia is because right now, they're actually having hearings. And you were saying that locally in Georgia, I know you do a lot of work with mm-hmm. prison reform uh, locally in Georgia, that some of these people, this this actually applies to all the way down to the state and local level. I hope that mm-hmm. kind of leads you into where you were going.
1: Yes. Um, okay. in the, Perfect. Oh, go, oh, does it? Trash, I'm telling you, I am all over the place today. My notes are crazy, all my different highlighters. Anyway, this this goes down, as far as Project 25, we just need to be reminded, this goes down to your state and local levels, that previous staff members for whatever administration typically stay on staff if they are not directly impacted by the new administration that is taking over these roles. And in those instances, a lot of your infiltrators have taken those non-direct impacted staff. And that's how a lot of good leaders or administrators or the people around them, that's how they are upended, or that's how their offices have been, obliterated, corrupted. If I ever won office, I would be that one that came in and fired everyone. Um, I know Lucy McBath was speaking today. She is in my district in Georgia, and she is speaking to, you know, on prison reform, right? She has no freaking clue. She hasn't been boots on the ground. When she's talking about personnel, you know, she's speaking to uh, management at prison. She's speaking to employees at prison, but never once have they really, really taken account into the prisoners, the ones that are actually making this complaints against these prisons and the administration that are over them and just the horrible treatment. Um, but trash, I don't know if you want me to keep going on on this or we could, yeah, go ahead.
0: yeah. So actually speaking on that and OK, so it seems like everyone's making their way into the room, guys. This is kind of what we do when we do these deep dive spaces It's kind of just talk about things that may be related as as people make their way in. Um, we are going to be uh, I have audio video. It, it was just coincidence. Like I remember savvy. I like, was three, four months ago when I got a hold of this project. Oh, yeah. And I called you and I was like, call, you know, holy cow, we need to go through this, but it's nine hundred and twenty pages. So that's mm-hmm. why this space, that's why this space is labeled part one. Um, because this is going to be a series that I'm gonna do. And and uh hey mic's hot. Yes, we are gonna I know because yes. I was
1: about to interrupt you and say we. Uh,
0: yes, of course. That's do. what I meant. <laughs> sorry. And Jennifer joined us as well. So again, let me reset the room real quick. So you were talking about, you know, prison reform in Georgia. Well, right, you know they're having those hearings today. And Matt Gates just came out, my goodness, uh, this morning talking about they've received complaints yeah. in his office regarding Owen Schroer and John Strand, which you guys know are January 6th uh, political prisoners. And there was, uh, Matt Gates put out a clip about two hours ago saying, my office has received disturbing allegations of political retaliation by the U.S. Bureau of Prisons against John Strand and Owen Schroer. I'm looking forward to taking up director Peters on her offer for on-site visits to investigate how January 6th defendants are being treated. And we know we've seen at least that Owen Schroyer has now been put back into solitary confinement. Um, that People are sending him mail and books. And it's being rejected. So uh, they're doing a number on o- Owen. <laughs> so um, I can play this clip as people make their way in, or we can kind of just get moving. So to reset the room, this is part one of Savvy and Aaron and, Hopefully, Jennifer, she's got the time. Uh, Breaking down the Heritage Foundation's uh, Project 2025, It's a very, very extensive plan. It was well thought out, well curated. Down in the chat, I actually have a link to everything. I put together a thread because randomly I was driving home one day and I was like, oh my God, James Bacon's on Timcast talking about Heritage. Like, perfect. So I was like, I guess it's time to start talking about it now. And so I threaded it all together. Um, I even put links to... Uh, the Civil Service Reform Act of 1978, which a lot of this was built around, and we're going to kind of get into this a little bit because I think it was brilliant. And I I was have the fortune enough to talk to some people who are involved with this. And 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 again, if you guys look at if you go to Project2025.org, you can get involved. Um, not only that, but you can see who is all involved in creating this plan. I actually have a link directly to the PDF here. And the list is extensive. I mean, obviously of note, you got Heritage Foundation, you got Cato, you've got, and it was a well-balanced, you can tell, like I was looking through all the people that contributed to this plan. And I think it's really well balanced. I think a lot of good questions were asked. I think a lot of, I think there was input from both sides of an argument, whether it would be on the right. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of people that are involved here. There's very, there's, there's women advocacy groups, there's, Family Research Council, First Liberty Institute, Heritage Foundation, Hillsdale College, which I always recommend Hillsdale College, guys. They do a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, You know, James Madison Institute. There's all kinds of stuff on here. I mean, Young America's uh, Foundation. So this was well thought out, well litigated, and I think it's very comprehensive. And it's about damn time um, that a proper plan was put forth, but it's very extensive. So this is going to be part one. Maybe we do this weekly, Sav, or maybe we do this every few days. I don't know, but this is definitely going to be a series that we're going to do because people are are talking all the time and they're giving retail politics online. Like, no, my guy said this. Your guy said that. That's great. What's the plan? Should should elections go forward in, in 2024? What's the plan moving forward? Well, I think we've got an answer here. And people say, well, what is the deep state? How you dismantle it? What is the administrative state? Well, I think we're crystal clear on what that is. And I think this plan tackles it. So that's what we're going to kind of get into. So I think what I'm going to do, Savvy, before before I do that, but I think what I'm going to do is I put together a small thread and there were just clips of James Bacon who was on TimCast. Um, I tried to make them bite-sized. They're anywhere from 38 seconds to 40 seconds a piece. And it'll kind of give you guys an overview of what we're looking at here and what we're talking about here. Um, I, think this was, I think this episode was probably very underviewed. And I will go find it and link it down if you guys want to watch it. There was only about a 15-minute stretch where they talked about it. The rest of the stuff was Israel-Palestine, obviously, and Ukraine stuff, because this is back on October 8th is when the episode aired. But uh, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to play some of these clips, and then we can deep dive a little bit into the actual plan, which I have linked below. Uh, Before I get started, Jen just joined us. Glad to see you. Get to that mute button.
1: (laughs) And are you feeling better I'm after here. getting over COVID? <laughs> oh my gosh, I still feel kind of like crap guys. Like, nope, um, no problem. It's like sinuses. I don't know what it is, but I'm here, here to help. Hi, Savvy. Hi, Trash. Hi, hey, hey, hey. Yes. Justin. Oh, even Justin's here. Hi, Justin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good to see you, Justin. Um, okay. So then I, for the, without further ado, we can save your voice and try to save mine a little bit. As you can hear, it's kind of shaky today, <clears throat> but I will start. So this was Hannah Brimlow on TimCast. And I thought that Ian and Hannah asked excellent questions and they really got down to it. And so, you know, this is the real administrative deep state. And this is a no nonsense approach. Yeah, Jen, before I get started.
1: Yeah, before you get started, I wanted to point out, I saw Maggie, is it Maggie Hemingway? um she is having an absolute melty over the fact that she of all people were censored okay can you believe this and it just made me think of trash and like you know it she didn't care when it was happening to all of us but now that she found out she fell victim like the whole world's coming to an end so that's that's what we're dealing with
0: No, I think it's hilarious. You know, and I'm glad that they're talking about all this stuff now. I mean, I'm glad it's getting out. But like, Jen, I mean, haven't we been talking about what the censorship apparatus has been for over a year at this point? Like they're coming out with it now. They're like, oh, did you know the EIP and Stanford Internet Observatory and Kate Starboard out of Washington State and Alex Stamos? We're like, I mean, yeah, we've been talking about it for a year. I mean, I'm glad it's out in public now, you know, and there's some confirmation there. But I'm like, you know, people are like, see, I was censored. I'm like, This is like my seventh account and I'm not even controversial. (laughs) So it's just crazy. All right, let's get, let's get cracking. So um, the reason that I kicked off today was because I was just infuriated by this, by this, this article, quote unquote, that this Michelangelo Signorelli, or however you say his name, I don't really care, uh, Michelangelo clown shoes, and he he basically is lying so i'll read his thread real quick just so you understand and then we're going to actually get into what the plan is so this is what he's saying he's saying and this is part of his article but he's saying director of project 2025 paul danz admits that the project 2025 the presidential transition project is a systematically is systematically preparing to march into office and to bring a new army of aligned trained and essentially weaponized conservatives ready to do battle against the deep state (laughs) quote, former DOJ official Jeffrey Clark, yes, one of Trump's co-conspirators in the Fulton County, Georgia case, is leading the work under Project 2025 to deploy military domestically under the Insurrection Act to squelch dissent, quote, from Trump's Project 2025, pornography is manifested today in in the omnipresent propagation of transgender ideology and sexualization as children. It has no claim to First Amendment protection. That's been ruled on. That's agreed. Uh, from Trump's Project 2025, pornography is defined, blah, blah, blah. This dude's, like, all about the porn. Um, and he's worried about being able to show uh, sex books to kids. He's saying educators and public librarians who purvey it should be classed as registered sex offenders. Agreed. And in, in a in a proper society not too long ago, they would have been. So pro- from Project 2025. And he keeps calling it Trump. It's actually Heritage Foundation. It's, it's not really Trump. It's This is the transition to a Republican... Uh, White House. Anyway, it doesn't matter Um, from Trump's Project 2025 and telecommunications and technology firms that facilitate pornography spread should be shuttered. Agreed. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, he says in every arena of American political and cultural life. Project 2025 pushes a dark plan for theocratic dictatorial government and House Speaker Mike Johnson's wet dream. And if Trump wins, Trump will be dictator in chief. Okay, so now we've got that nonsense out of the way. Why don't we actually get into what this actually is and why they're so freaked out? So let's talk about this. I'm going to play the first clip here, and they're going to kind of briefly get into it, and I'll kind of give you guys some summaries as we go into it. And then I know Sav's got a bunch of notes, and Jen, you're going to have a bunch to say. So we're going to get into it, and hopefully we can have some people join the stage that were involved in creating this, and maybe get some more insights. But let me play these clips. Now that you've heard what the establishment is going to say about this, let's hear what the people who created it are actually saying about it.
2: project with Heritage
3: yeah that's the idea behind project 2025 at Heritage actually which is basically an effort to get the personnel right this next administration and also an effort to make sure that the bureaucrats that have the true levers of power in our bureaucracy are able to be held accountable that doesn't mean we're gonna fire all of them but if somebody is obstructing policy it's making sure that person can be fired because you know, all these candidates love to talk about what they're going to do, but if you don't first get the bureaucracy under control, you can't do anything else.
2: With your project, with
0: so and then basically said thats the overview, right? And then we all—we've all been saying it. Now this is the plan to to facilitate that. Now I think Ian Crossland, like love him or hate him, on TimCast, um, just speak it. So love him or hate him on TimCast. Um, He asked really great questions here, and I think that he really opened it up. So um, in this next clip, that was James Bacon speaking. And James explains how FDR basically restricted the power of the presidency to essentially one one hundredth of its power before him. This is FDR making the presidency almost just a ceremonial at this point. And so he has some really great questions. So, Savvy, did you have something or?
1: Nope. Keep going.
3: Okay, hey, James. Like, how much of, of the president's value and effectivity is like based is all around that one guy, and around how much of it is around the people he surrounds himself with? Well, I think it's been a trend in American politics since FDR of the presidency becoming more and more ceremonial over time, to the point today where today's president has a one hundredth the power that FDR did. Uh, Curtis Yarvin has talked about that a lot. Um, The deep state has become a massive problem, and the people truly pulling the levers of power are kind of this expert class at the top of the bureaucracy that, of course, leans left and is permanent, you know, they have civil service protections. And it makes it hard for a president to control the bureaucracy and control the policy. And it's not just for Republicans, it's for Democrats, too, although the bureaucracy just tends to agree with them more. It's kind of just a coincidence.
0: He's right. Now, I'm going to get on this a little bit further here. I'm just going to keep going because it goes right into kind of the thoughts behind this. And this is how FDR had a plan to expand the administrative state, right? So he basically went to a bunch of these like progressive, you know, academics or scholars and tried to figure out how to make it last beyond, you know, his presidency. Um, But they all had the idea around like European monarchies and the idea of having like this permanent expert class that would outlive uh, tenures and in presidency and, and such. And obviously that is a big, big problem. And and moving fast forward into 1978, it was supposed to have been addressed by then. Unfortunately, that's been compromised, but we're going to get into that. But this is what James is talking about here uh, in regards to this, uh, what we call the deep state of the permanent expert class Um, and how they kind of formed
2: this thought.
3: FDR create this managerial class. Why did he put people in in the middle? So FDR was spinning up all these new agencies in the 30s during during the New Deal, and he wanted to put in place a system that would last after he left. So he did this thing where he got all these progressive academics to come up with a plan for how can I um, better better make this administrative state work. And these progressive academics based their plan on the monarchies in Europe, which had massive bureaucracies when when the United States didn't. And FDR took their plan and he implemented it. And so it's this idea of a permanent expert class, an expert (coughs) class that (coughs) keeps the policies going no matter who the president is. It's the antithesis of democracy. Was because-
0: And so, yeah, and this is where obviously Um, if that is left unchecked, uh, can run rampant. Well, (laughs) we're seeing it today, right? The thing is, is that they did try to check it. And this is 1978. uh, Congress passed the Civil Service Reform Act, right? This was establishing the Office of Personnel Management. It was designed to put a check on the administrative state. But of course, it's compromised. Um, This is where the plan can and will be rolled out through, though. This is very important to note. This is not just going in and willy-nilly firing people. We're going to get into that, and I think James explains it well here. So I'll go ahead and get into it.
2: So what are you guys specifically doing to combat this issue?
3: So there's, the, there's a lot of things the president can do, but basically all the tools the president has are in the Civil Service Reform Act of 1978, which actually was passed by Congress to help the president better control the deep state because it had become such a problem. And it created an agency called the Office of Personnel Management, and they're supposed to manage the bureaucrats. But what's happened over time is that agency that was created got captured by the bureaucrats themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's totally, totally captured. Yeah. So you have to take back that agency and then use the legal authorities that that you have, which there are many. You know, people know about the Schedule F executive order. They're familiar with that. That's one of like 10 things the president can start to do to hold the, the bureaucracy accountable.
0: So now we're going to kind of get into uh, a little bit there. Also in that thread, I did go ahead and link uh, the actual um, act from October 13th of 1978, if you guys would like to take a look at it. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And it's it's pretty fascinating if you look at, at how it was drafted and, and the wording. And you fast forward to 2023 today and you're just kind of like, wow, we were different people then, so we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get back to that. So now this is uh, this is where we start implementing the plan. He said, obviously we know about schedule F. We've all been talking about schedule F, but this is where I think a lot of people don't understand that I haven't worked in the White House, and I haven't worked in the White House. I haven't worked in D.C. I'm I'm just a a, a normal raccoon on the internet, but I'm I'm highly engaged and want to pay attention. And so a lot of people don't even realize the layers between. Um, the staff and the, like the people that the, the president actually nominates to be in certain positions of leadership. And this is going to kind of get into that a little bit. So check this out.
3: Like what are the top five powerful roles that they would pick and put I know chief of Staff would be one of them. Chief of Staff is extremely important. I think I don't think it's necessarily the roles. I think it's the actions the president would need to take. There is a massive barrier between the president and his own cabinet secretaries. So there's a White House bureaucracy within the White House itself. And they kind of serve as this management barrier where they, they tell the president's cabinet secretaries what to do instead of the president directly. And this, this management bureaucracy was cre- created under FDR and it's only grown bigger and bigger. So I think the next president needs to do things like kick the National Security Council permanent bureaucrat staff out of the White House on day one, do things like that. you know. Make sure that your cabinet secretaries are being told by you solely what to do. There's too many middlemen that the president has. So if you cut down on these layers of bureaucracy and tell your decision makers exactly what to do, that's that's kind of the way of managing it. And the other thing is, the president needs to delegate less and follow up more. That That's the key to all of this, because these bureaucrats thrive in the shadows. They don't want to be confronted if if the president and his cabinet secretaries dig into these agencies they are going to figure out how things are really run and they're going to get a better handle on this stuff like what are the top five? yeah
0: so now i mean you guys can really see and and like think about today think about what's going on right now with our oatmeal sack of oatmeal in in the white house and everyone you know always says like it's just we know he's not running it but who's actually running it and well, I think we know at this point. And, you know, you got a lot of Obama holdover people in there. We know Valerie Jarrett is in there. Listen, this is how this is how the sausage is made, and this is what we're experiencing. So, yeah, go ahead, Sabine. Thank you, Robert, for joining us.
1: Um, I just want to kind of put this out there. I'm not sure how many people have heard about this, but you have the director of Project 2025 and the associate director. These aren't just willy-nilly people, right? Paul Danz worked in the Office of Personal Management under President Trump. Spencer was former special assistant to the president. So these are people that have seen the inside workings of President Trump's campaign, his advisors, his counsels, and have put together a comprehensive plan to to secure the office of the president and who is able to be around him. And working with the Heritage Foundation as well, and this goes back all the way to Reagan era when they used the mandate for leadership. This, I think, that's really important since this isn't the cuff type of thing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point to note. Savvy, you're rubber banding pretty bad. I don't know if it's Wi-Fi or not, but. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're 100% correct. And, and Robert, you just joined us. I, I don't know if you wanted to add on, on to that. It seems like, yeah. Hey. Uh, obviously, I know your work that you've done. So good to see you, Robert. Good to see you.
2: Thank you for doing the space. And uh, yeah, some of, some of the folks, as you mentioned, are um, are represent a, a much broader base of 200 or so contributors to the Heritage 2025 uh, plan for the next administration. Um, I happened, I was lucky enough to be part of that group and writing some of the, some of the chapters. And it's, um, it, it continues on what you said, Savvy. Um, one of the, one of the guys that was a writer was Don Devine. He was Reagan's first director of OPM. Um, and you know, if you remember some of the things they were trying to do, if you remember the air traffic controller strike, that was kind of a big kind of personnel issue back then. So Don Devine was an advisor for President Trump in the OPM we had for Trump, where I worked with Paul Dans, James Bacon, um, Spencer Critchin. Uh, so this effort was really, and I'll, this is sort of a an acknowledgement to Justin, so, some of the swampy people that came in initially to the Trump administration were just sort of hill hacks. They were sort of steeped in, in um, the bureaucracy of Washington, and they they're very much into their positions, and and they're not really advancing the policies of the president. They just they just want they're happy with their job, and they and they just uh, don't want to make any waves. But um, after a little bit, this team in the Trump administration basically took them out and actually put in some some um, you know disruptors, people who are going to actually represent the American people and weren't necessarily just trying to make sure they had a placeholder job. So th- this reflection in this um, Heritage Foundation group, it cuts across lots of different candidates, uh, the f- political philosophies. So it's, you know, it's um, each of the any candidate, uh, whoever the nominee will be from the Republican side can adopt this. And we hope they do. There's a lot of great mind talent that, that put this together. You know, all ages, all all different disciplines. Um Competing interests, too. You know, th- this book that was put out—the nine hundred pages—was a result of lots of negotiations, a lot of a, you know, um, debate, de- de- deliberation about what what the policy should be, and you know, what's really what's really in the best interest of the American people. So, um, no, I think it's a great a great start, and um, it, it, you know, it it, it tried to resemble. Also, I think, you know, even Romney had something in 2012, but that didn't really work. Um, President Trump had an initial transition team with uh, Chris Christie, if you remember, before the 2020 election. And that ended up being kind of a disaster. And that set, when President Trump won the election, nearly all of those people in that first transition team were bounced out. And I think there were maybe 20 people of that. That left. And keep in mind, <laughs> if, if you remember the the time three years, almost three years ago now, uh, Hillary Clinton had, you know, a thousand people on her transition team, thousand people on a campaign. They all knew their offices. They had their drapes picked out. You know, this is like the the perpetuation of the both the combination of the deep state, state and the administrative state. President Trump, on the other hand, maybe had like a hundred and something employees, and and only started with twenty. People in the transition team and had to stand up a government with, you know, thousands, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people. So, you know, in, in what Steve Bannon calls the original sin, uh, there was a deal cut with, you know, Reince Priebus to kind of help with the staffing. So he brought his people in Wayhouse personnel and they were basically just bringing in, and we were trying to, we, we blocked lobbyists. Lobbyists could not get in. So there was, there were ethical standards, <laughs> but it ended up being a lot of Hill, Hill uh, staffers that kind of got brought in and again, just, you know, pe- people that are part of the revolving door between industry and Hill. And that did not work out as well. So in spite of that, <laughs> Justin, <laughs> in spite of that, President Trump got a lot of stuff done. Now I'll give you one example of, a, of kind of a bad actor that was in there. So, so general John Kelly, he was one of the chiefs of staff and this goes back to what bacon is saying about how you know you really need need to uh execute more and uh so and and keep and hold the hold the agencies accountable i remember talking to john kelly at some white house thing and we were trying to go through well what you know what about all these age this heritage plan is like a a transition plan to actually uh, execute on policy so i was asking kelly um, well, what are you doing about, you know, making sure that the, the transition plans are being executed Are you actually following up and checking with each of the cabinet secretaries and the agency, you know, the, in each of the agencies to see that they're doing what, what they're supposed to be doing. And that, and he had absolutely no clue. He, I mean, he, John Kelly was, you know, um, uh, good at, um, Keep keeping you know control of the White House, and, that, and he tried to do that really really well, but he had no clue about actually implementing policy. That was a failure of his. So he 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 did the president a disservice in his role there. And I'm glad we couldn't get him out fast enough. So um, but so having learned from all those kind of fits and starts with a really sc- a scrappy team of disruptors. We realize that we do not – President Trump does not want to do that, you know, repeat that kind of mistake by selling out or compromising with the, with the swamp. So this, this Heritage 2025 effort is a, an effort to get a jump on that and to bring in really good talent, not just from, you know, the, the think tanks and all that, but to bring in regular, regular American citizens, smart citizens from all kinds of areas, health, finance. State Department, all, all the areas that need to get staffed. So this this was a the, the first um policy kind of implementation for many of the areas, areas defense, treasury, and, and um it's gonna get continue to get built out and project 2025 is recruiting smart people from all you know all aspects to be a part of this plan. So thank you, uh Trashford and uh Savvy for doing this space. Absolutely, Robert. I'm glad you joined
0: us, and it is very important. Like uh, to your to your last point, it's something I brought up earlier. You can 100 percent get involved in this. Like if you if you have some expertise, and and, and guys, it's linked at the bottom. Like, take a look. Like, this is part one of a series that we're going to be doing um, for quite some time because there is so much here. I mean, but if you just if you just open up the 902 page book about what the plan is, I mean, each chapter it's talking about. I'll give you an example, like. So taking the reins of the government is kind of what we're talking about right now. And then you've got like section two, common defense. We've got, you know, DHS, Department of State, IC, media agency, the Agency for International Development, general welfare. So you've got agriculture, education, energy, um, transportation, veterans affairs, Department of Justice. We've got commerce, treasury, banks, small business administration, fair trade. And section five is independent regulatory agencies. We've got it, it, it. it tackles the whole of of the government that we have now and what we're talking about specifically right now is how to get it under control so we can actually start reining in what what the monstrosity that the government has become. And so, Robert, this is a a huge plan and I really appreciate you joining us because I think this is really important and no one's talking about this. And yet this is a direct way. Fine. You don't want to run for office. Fine. Don't. You can get involved with this. You don't want to be precinct committee pe- pe- committee people for elections. Fine. You can get involved in this if you have a specific area of expertise. This isn't this. This is a yes, it's 100 percent obviously coming from a heritage foundation and the litany of groups that I mentioned earlier. But but again, this was a plan like to your point, Robert, and I brought this up when I first started the space. This is not a one sided argument plan that was put in place. There are a lot of opposing views. A lot, of, um, a lot of opposing interests that were all involved in crafting this. And I, for one, am a big fan of it, and I think that's why we should be talking about it. This isn't some hyper-partisan, you know, echo chamber. I'm sorry, it's not. Because the coalition of people that have been voting not only for Trump, but that are coalescing on the right-leaning libertarian side, some disaffected liberals, a lot of them care about these things. And so I think this transcends any kind of, like, retail politics. And this, if you want to get involved, you can. It's linked below. You can you can go to the website, project2025.org. And there's also the nine hundred and two page document that we're gonna be going through in a multi-part series, and we're gonna bring these issues to the American people. Since no one else wants to talk about it, we're gonna talk about it. So
2: you know the, Again, the deep, no, this is great work. The deep state real and the administrative state really hates this. They they kind of like the, the Joe Biden, you know, figurehead model where they can just run the show behind the scenes and there's no there's no connection to the executive branch. You know, it really I mean, there, there's other people, you know, still calling the shots, but it isn't Joe, Joe Biden. Um, I mean, unless it's a, unless it's some scammy deal where he gets paid, then he's I'm sure he's actively involved. But um, no, this is this is a, this new effort by um, Heritage Foundation is to kind of break that apart and return return the executive office and running of our agencies back to representing American people and um, going sort of around the deep state, around the administrative state, because they're, they're conflicted. They, they want these, this massive spending, they want their power positions. So they're going to do things and make decisions that aren't in the interest of American people. So this, this is really a disruptive form of, of, of returning it back to the, you know, the Kennedy Reagan kind of days of, of, a of, uh, of more direct, um, representation by, uh, by your elected people and the, and the executive offices. 100%. I, I completely agree. And that's why I'm excited about it. Aaron,
0: I know you were, you and I were talking about this when I first started chatting about it a couple months ago. Yeah. As you know, I usually go off the rails in these things. Hey, if you ever do a space specific end immigration, uh, for
4: this plan, please tag me. Okay. Um, I threw my hat in the ring of this project. I gave my resume
0: and I did the fill out. It takes like 30 minutes to fill out. It's not hard at all. Um, And I already wrote up a white paper on a lot of things because there is, I think there's a lot of shit when it comes into uh, immigration writ large. But yeah, whenever you do one on that specifically, please hit me up. Um, We'll just make part two that since it's obviously very, very prescient issue given the geopolitical situation going on right now. I think that part two will be immigration on. Have co-hosts, but I would imagine the savvy would agree with me, and Jen. So, yeah. So we'll do that next. That'll be part two. We'll
2: do immigration, and then I'll just tag you in right away.
0: And uh, there, I'm interested uh, to hear trash. more about
2: your Aaron. Sorry. So when when you do specialty um, or or do additional series, there may be heritage or or chapter writers. You know, people who are leading the the you know the immigration team or. If you want to uh, invite them in, they, may, they might want to join. I know, I know Heritage uh, tried to get a couple on. One, uh, Paul's traveling. He's on a plane right now. Uh, Spencer might join the next series.
0: Great. Robert, I would love nothing more than to have the people that are a, a part of this talk about it directly instead of me just opining on the Internet. So I would really, really appreciate it if they could join and we can actually get down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on here. Uh, this is this is a big deal. Um, this is going to be a multi-part series. So thank you again, Robert. And if anybody if anybody wants to come in from Heritage to talk about this, please let me know. I will say this now. We'll, we'll, we'll I don't know the schedule now that I know that it might have some accessibility with some folks that are connected with this and Aaron's schedule as well. We'll schedule the next one, but the next one will be immigration for sure. And it's going to be it's going to be soon. We need to start talking about it. So probably this week. That's great. Dustin just joined us. Good to see you, Dustin. I'm going to get back to these clips here in a second, but uh, did you have something you wanted to add, Dustin?
5: Dallas, I'm fired up. Like, uh,
0: this is the kind of, like, pregame that we need before we retake the White House in 24 so that the teams hit the ground running with the agenda, right? Which is, I I think a lot of us were exposed for the first time like just how messy it is to staff the federal government especially when you want to staff it with somebody who's got an agenda that is dramatically different than the status quo and that heritage has put this together. I'm a huge fan. I am super fired up to dive into it and figure out what the plans are. 100%.
2: I agree. Yeah, Robert, get in here. So i want to get back. There are a couple other dynamics going on that James Bacon had uh, referred to as well. And he's a, you know, he worked in the White House uh, presidential personnel office as well. So there was an effort um, at Office of Personnel Management late in the Trump administration to bring out a new class of government workers. It's called Schedule F. And usually there's just like Schedule C and then there's like, you know, appointees to the executive branch. Um, what we found, and this was the result of lots of uh, subterfuge and sabotage and blocking, the the career the the career administrative leaders you know could be at you know SES positions G14s G15s. We found that they're just like you know embedded in from you know decades of uh, of, of of bureaucracy, and they are we're just sandbagging the whole process. They're going to continue to do that. So we we the Schedule F was a a concept that if if you're a leader a career leader but you are executing the plans of the administration the, the executive branch the president and you are you know not doing the the job you're basically not listening to management <laughs> if you're if you're in a management role but you're actually you know sabotaging the management then you can be fired so this this schedule f class was put in for and I and I think it's still debatable how far down that would go. But it, anybody in a kind of a policy position, it could even be in like uh, communications or finance. You know, if they're in in a in privy to to policy implementation, they may be deemed to be uh, Schedule F. Where if they if they aren't on board with the program, you know, of the executive branch and the president, then they might as well just step side. And, and this is just kind of calling it like the, it, it's calling out the, the subterfuge and the sabotage. So, um, and giving the, giving the opportunity to fire people if they, if they are, you know, in it having conflict of interest like that. So this schedule F is a part of this thing. It's not only, it's just recruiting, uh, ahead of time for, you know, uh, really sound people that are not conflicted with the Hill or industry, but it's it's um it's also changing the nature and the in the structure of government so that they can be accountable and fireable.
1: I wanted to jump in here real quick, Robert, on that schedule. If you make a great point, and they cover uh, our you know, trash has that in his thread. Um, that could be extremely useful, especially when we talk about the president and him delegating less but doing more follow up. I mean, this. This could be cabinet secretaries, it could be national security councils, um, but more of a reduction in force. Like, if you are not going to follow through with the agenda that the president has set forth, you're you're done. Because, like what was mentioned in the little snippets, is that these management bureaucracy, they they thrive in the darkness, in the shadows. They are sleepers within these, you know what could potentially be non-essential employees, but that's a way that they're able to infiltrate to higher levels. That's a great point, Robert.
2: I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> I won't use his name. And there were a couple of people that were involved in this. So when I was at FHA at HUD, and this happened, you, you pick the agency, I'm sure this happened like dozens and dozens of times every week, major policy things were coming out. This was a, an effort to like totally revamp the FHA reverse mortgage pr- program, and it was it was hemorrhaging money. It was fifty percent of FHA's claims. It was ten percent of our book. It was just they, they were giving this product away at a, at major hemorrhaging money. So we were like for, for the fiduciary interest of all the you know seven eight million American insured mortgages, we said we got to we got to make this this uh, program fiscally sustainable. So we made changes to that program, the reverse mortgage program, and we had, there were industry people inside HUD, FHA, and they were, they were leaking our information to industry and industry was coming. And this is not really an industry. It's a kind of collection of like, you know, what I call tow truck drivers. Basically they, they, they leaked it to the industry and the industry people were coming in and in our faces, my face saying you got, you can't do that, you can't change it. And we hadn't even released it all. It was like, if you imagine working for a company and you're about to do a rollout and somebody like leaks and spills all the information before the policy is even baked, that's exactly what happened. And that happened tons of times at State Department, DOD. And and that was active sabotage. It was industry, it was what you called regulatory capture by industry where they had plants and people inside that were working for the best interest of, of their, you know, not for the American people. They were working plants for you name the special interest, but we caught, we had these people and you know what? This one guy that was doing this. We we found the emails of who who he was leaking it to. We found we couldn't have the, we couldn't even fire him because of the stupid government rules about firing. So we, we moved him, but we didn't, we couldn't fire him. He actually, he actually, if he was successful, he would have cost, the American people, you know, billions of dollars, I'm telling you, per year, billions. So it, that, that kind of stuff happened a lot across the board.
0: Yeah, it did. And, and I'm going to get into the layers here because like we were talking about the expert class and we know what FDR, you know, set up. James was talking about here about, you know, having a permanent administrative state. And then in 1978, setting up the office of personnel management through the uh, civil, uh, civil services reform act. But it, um, it's, it's not speaking to what he likes to call the DMV class level people, which also are just as bad at, at, at subverting policy, because again, they're not accountable to the American people. They're accountable to the government. That's, 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 that's a big difference. And so this, I'm actually going to be able to get into this here where the layers that exist and kind of how they're going to attack it. So I'll play those clips. So Justin, go ahead and I'll get to it.
4: Oh, I, I think this is a terrific project. I, I know a lot of people over at the heritage foundation, uh, Robert Bluey, who's their longtime VP of communications. He and I grew up in the trenches 20 plus years ago in all things. And I remember spending a lot of time, um, when I was dealing with, uh, some policy things with Ed Meese, I don't know if he still has an office there, Robert or not, but, uh, he's on,
2: he's one of the writers. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's the third his son. I'm sorry.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know if Ed was still still cranking away too, but, uh, he, he used to have his own office there. Great people there. You should stop by. They're very attentive. Um, look, uh, Rob is right. And I, I'm not going to bring up the politics thing because there are issues. But uh, the deal is policy is power and politics is policy. And bad politicians make terrible bad policy. And you're off to the races. And if you ever want the evidence of this, and if you have an sp- afternoon that you're spending and you're going, just kill me now, I need something to kill me now. Go to federalregister.gov. don't know if you guys know the Federal Register, but the Federal Register basically produces um, an archive of everything your government is doing five days a week, um, and sometimes more. But every single day there is an issue of the Federal Register. It's usually around 200 to 300 pages. It covers every agency, every sub-agency. And you can see today, for example, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is updating their safety standard guides for residential gas furnaces and boilers. The Small Business Development Center has new modernization rules of beneficial ownership reporting. The National Institute of Standards and Technology has given a notice of a board of overseers for the Malcolm Bell Ridge National Quality Award. Uh, you have the personnel uh, management office who's giving a notification of agency information collection proposals, submissions for CyberCorps, a scholarship for service registration system. Once you put policy in place, it's there and it's going to go far and wide and it just populates and populates and populates. And that's why uh, it's so vital to have people that are head of agencies that are not coming for example from a congressional office where you were overseeing, you know, 15, 20-year-olds and 250-year-olds who have been out there on the hill forever, right? That's basically the makeup of the entire every single staff office in the in, in in Congress there. And so it's it's much different to go to that and now you're managing an agency that has what? Five figures, sometimes three uh, six figures of of people that work for you, right? And and you have to manage that in a specific way to understand that stuff is happening down below that you will never see, and that they don't care about because they're just they're not evil people. They're just following the policies that have been laid out. And so once things become policy, they become king. And so that's why it's so vital to have uh, you know someone who who has that managerial experience both on the presidential side, but also to pick people that are going to do specific things. They're not just industry sort of crossovers they know how to manage people and how to find the bad eggs and and root those out and i think i, I was looking over some of this stuff robert I love love what you guys are doing there and i i highly endorse it
0: i appreciate you, justin and then you make a very very valid point um, i've started looking at that since you brought it up i think i don't know we had a space we were talking about it during i think it was during the speaker uh circus uh where we were talking about it but uh highly recommend going look at that resource as well and speaking to that and and. You know, so it's estimated at this what I was talking about with what James is talking about here, it's estimated at what he calls the DMB class level of around two point two million employees, of which a very, very small percentage of the president actually has control over. So to to speaking to your point, it's very, very imperative. That's again, that's why I love this project twenty twenty five as well, is getting the people in that can rein this in. And to your point, creating good policy that these people can then go and execute. So let me play that clip, actually.
3: Going in and firing everyone maybe is is not the right move, but to go in and be very selective about who and what to remove, or do you think more of just a broad-sweeping 75% reduction of the workforce among the managerial class? What do you think is more effective? I think you need to do uh, parts of both. So you need to do reductions in force where you get rid of these non-essential workers, the non-essential bureaucracy. I like to say there's a deep state at the top, That's the left-wing expert class, but then there's like the DMV state below them, and these are like the millions of unionized civil service protected employees. It's 2.25 million employees, and the president can only hire and fire at will 4,000 of them, so 99.9% of his own employees he can't fire. So you have to, you know, get rid of the non-essential ones, and you can use reduction force exercises, which is just a fancy term for mass government layoffs to do that. But then at the top, it's more, you know, picking apart um, certain places where the bureaucracy has a hold, like the State Department, you need to go in and tear that place apart. If people are resisting, you need to fire them. Um, But there's there's a lot of nuances to it.
0: Yeah. And and again, that speaks to a lot of what, what Robert and Justin were saying. And I guess I can piggyback on that a bit. Uh, And then in regards to these reduction force exercises, which is such a great government term for layoff, (laughs) you got to hand it to him. Here's what James has to say about that.
3: How would you implement reduction force exercises? You would look at the parts of the federal government that are truly non-essential. And it's funny because we already have a list of these positions. When when the government shuts down, all the non-essential workers go home. And... We it's,
1: have this list that we like. Are like
0: you're not even that important. Leave
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so you're not going to fire all those people. But what does it being non-essential mean? It means they're non-essential in some way.
5: Yeah.
3: Is there like an so exec- you start from there and look at that? Is would it be an executive order that would be like this would put it into action or something? This this agency uh, Office of Personnel Management would do it. So for example, on day one, you could say. We're doing a reduction in force to get rid of all the diversity, equity, and inclusion offices across the federal government, and let's just start there. How would you?
0: (laughs) I agree. And what he's referring to—the Office of Personnel Management—I've said it a couple couple times uh, on this uh, space. Uh, It's the fifth part of the thread. It's actually the link to the entire uh, 1978. uh, Basically, this is the 1978 Civil Services Reform Act. And this is where they actually established the Office of Personnel Management. Um, and so this actually is really the vector where we can start, you know, using that, the Office of Personnel Management. Um, and it was designed to keep a check on the on the administrative, the expert classes that they are had, had coined the administrative expert class that they had put in place. This was designed to keep a check on that. Well, of course, they got in there. Uh, People got in there and it's basically been compromised. So we're going to reel that back in and then start making movements through the Office of Personnel Management. I just think it's I I think it's interesting to note that why today or yesterday, why this uh, Michelangelo guy has come out. And now I'm hearing I'm seeing down in the chat. Thank you guys for this and DMs that apparently this what this Michelangelo guy is talking about invoking the insurrection act. And it's going to bring forth a dictatorship and blah, 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 blah. Well, apparently that's being re on TikTok and many other social media platforms. So there's a lot of people right now, I guess, on other social media platforms that are, you know, leftist influencer, whatever it may be, or, you know, establishment, deep state, uh, you know, paid influencers, whatever. But they're all parroting the same type of rhetoric around what Project 2025 is, saying that, you know, if Donald Trump's elected, they're going to put this 2025 plan forth and he's going to be a forever dictator and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's already started to get around, and that was the catalyst for me to wanting to start to do this now. I was gonna wait until we got through primary season, but it's not, I think we need to start now. And most importantly, I'm glad we're starting now, because again, I wanna remind people, if you're just joining us, down in the chat, you can go to project2025.org. And if you wanna get involved, like some people don't wanna run. Um, I don't wanna run for office. So, you know, uh, if you don't wanna run for office, if you don't wanna get involved in local elections, you don't wanna get involved in local politics, and you have a specialty. you can join. Uh, they are looking for people in, and, and there's tons of it. We're, we're going to be having a multi-part space about this. We're going to do immigration next. And there are people that have passion they're very passionate and very expert in certain things. You can get involved. So I, I just highly recommend. And to be even further clear, uh, this is not a paid paid space. I'm not, I'm not paid to do any of this. Uh, I really just care about this country. so just to be clear, um, I'm, I'm interested in solutions, not complaining. So you guys know that about me. I don't really like, I don't really care about someone wants to whine. If you want to whine about politics, you can go on Facebook. I'd rather look at for solutions. So that's why we're going to do this, um, but we're going to keep going through it. Meanwhile, I've got a couple people up on stage that joined us. Uh, Kevin, you joined us, Molly, you joined us uh, and Dustin as well. If you guys wanted to, if there's anything you guys wanted to talk about, I saw your uh, comment down there, Molly.
3: Oh yeah. Um, I'm kind of just learning about all this right now as, as time goes on here during this space, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what did, what did you think about that? Um, I mean, I know it's kind of taboo to talk about that and usually it is. And I talk about that often. So obviously it's not very taboo for me, but, you know, if anybody really did want to take down the deep state in that way, those are the exact people who they hire in their spaces who are not vetted at all. And they just send them home, like, like nothing ever happened. So
0: I think a that's lot of what happens, Yeah, well I think a lot of what happens in DC is is an influence game, right? And it's what you have over somebody else or what what favors you you owe to somebody and it's it that's 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 what DC is. is nothing but an influence game. And so I your comment isn't far off. Um it, it's it's good it's important to note. I mean, obviously politicians are humans, but there is a there is an additional um there is additional uh, uh, note, a character flaw sometimes of narcissism or, or addiction or or egos the size of Montana. And I think all of this, when you're playing in a very dark influence game in D.C., Clouds your judgment. I put out a thread, which oddly enough, Matt Gates retweeted today, which was kind of cool. Um, but uh, I put out a thread when he was talking about he was on Timcast like 10 months ago and he was talking about how the speaker vote and what concessions that they wanted. But in this thread specifically, um, I noted and I'll probably actually play it. It seems like a good time to actually point this out of how the American people are constantly sold out by special interest and lobby groups and how that all happens as a freshman congressperson arrives in D.C. And so to expect that we're going to get a lot of stuff done that's going to be better off for the American people through Congress, I think is I, I think we can put some energy there. But I think the energy actually needs to be put into 2020, Project 2025, and getting actual Americans with experts that do want to put America first into these type of positions that can really move the government beyond some kind of soundbite on news uh, from a congressperson. Uh, again, that's, that's where we're at. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. As a matter of fact, I probably will play that. I know Savvy's at work um, doing some stuff. She's busy. So I might try to drive that conversation a little bit by playing that. It was a thread that I put out a while ago, but I think it's important to know. So I'll get to you,
5: Kevin, then I'll actually play that. I think it's relevant right now. Hey guys, God, you know, great space as always. One thing I, people are always talking about with the, you know, this, this, uh, schedule F, you know, getting rid of everybody. I, for some reason it doesn't seem all that practical to me, like something that actually could or would happen. So, I I wonder what it would be. What if for the next four years, say Trump wins, he gets in. What if he just stops hiring people like altogether, like anyone who retires? OK, we just, you know, promote from within and don't hire any new people. And then slowly that would that way he's not, you know, cutting these jobs, you know, taking away people's livelihoods. But, you know, someone else can go run and get coffee at the Department of the Interior. Because anybody who's ever worked in government knows that half the people in the office aren't doing anything most of the day. Hell, most of the people working in office aren't doing anything most of the day. So what if we just, instead of firing people that have put 15 years in at, at HUD, what if we just didn't hire anybody to replace them when they retired?
0: Well, Kevin, uh, I'm going to let Robert speak to this. That's, th- this plan is a little bit deeper than that. Um, this is kind of the point. Um, so, Robert, I, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and answer that. Your hand went up. So. it's it's
2: so funny you kevin hey that you used hud as an example hud i think the average age is like 71 or something like that at hud it's really old i mean very old and and actually which was which was really good for a mix of views because we had people from the nixon administration in there um but you know the app the schedule f was not going to be you know it was in the you know tens of thousands of people not not hundreds of thousands certainly so you know when Bacon says, says "You know, there's, there's two and a half million in the DMV class." The F is not going to get into that area. Um, so yeah, there, you you do have retire outs that that will that will you know could just naturally bring down your force. But you you know you want you want turnover. You want you know. Some people who've been at at this for uh you know I'm i'm a boomer i 'll even admit it you know you need fresh ideas you need all kinds of ages in in government uh from all parts of the of the country <laughs> well, another thing about this is that you know it's not just the employees it's the contractor we have tons of there's an equal number of people that work for contractors to the federal government and the the um that's part of the deep state as well and that, uh, you know some examples may be. If it's like a weapon system for de- Defense Department, like a, you know, maybe it's not the latest and greatest weapon system. Maybe that one and that contractor is wedded to that, and there's a new technology that is coming on that we want to instead move contracts to them. But but the old contractor's still saying, well, you got to keep keep doing this old, you know, whatever, do the old stuff. We need to we need constant dynamic adaptability of what the government needs at the time. Uh, and you could pick any agency. If it's State Department, you know, educating people in Africa about to be gay or something, like that, or just gender indoctrination, we we don't. That's a that's a policy issue. We just shouldn't be doing that, first of all. So we just you shut those you shut those uh, divisions down, hundred um, percent. Aging. There's no there's no sunset provision in the government. A lot of these times, they, you know, the gov- the Congress will authorize a project for this and that, you know, and that it just goes on for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And there's no, there's no um, re-evaluation and say, well, hey, is this actually doing what it was supposed to do? And so if, if you, if you attack some of those big contracting opportunities to like shed contracts, not renew them, or just look at sunsetting things that aren't working, uh, looking at, looking at, um, you know, re- people retiring out, You'll you'll achieve a lot of reduction in force that just that way, not just from Schedule F.
5: Yeah, because, you know, look, I mean, look, I want the government to be as small as anybody. But, you know, the your career State Department employee is just working some desk. Doesn't have the you know what I mean? Like, I I don't want to fire somebody who's a year away from a pension because we're trying to shrink the size of a government that never should have gotten this big in the first place. But you know what I mean?
2: Well, so, yeah, you know, we're, they're, they're, yeah. they're going to get their vesting over time. I mean, the somebody's been there 15 years and waiting another year isn't going to, it's not, it's not going to change. It, it might change their, their monthly pension, a few hundred bucks or something like that. It's not, you know, waiting till the 15th year from a 14th year, not a big deal. The way these things vest, I don't know if that's a real, you know. It, 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 they're, maybe they're managing their life. I do get that if they're managing their lives as a, as a federal employee serving the country and you know, you want to wait for another year. Great. You know, that's fine. But, but if they're depends on what they're doing, are they actually producing something for the taxpayer for they're doing what Congress intended them to spend the money on doing, or are they just sitting there, you know, uh, as a mushroom, it depends on, it depends on the situation. Well, and, and I know James has spoken to this and, and
0: And I've read through the plan. This is not just like a broad brush, just cut everybody out. This is a strategic um, evaluation and analysis of what is needed, what's not getting the proper people into these proper positions that that can then make these kind of decisions. Like, I mean, yeah, I I would think the point is not to just broad brush, like just cut the government by 70 percent. I mean, he does address that. Uh, It's in the plan as well. So it, it's going to be it's going to be very surgical from from what I can
2: tell on this plan. It's designed to be very surgical, not very uh, blunt force. So oh, one one more point, uh, this but the response to Kevin's thing. Do you, I think Joe Biden has put on it added 40 percent growth in two and a half years to the, the government employee roles, 40 percent. So he's he's just stuffing people in these various programs for, you know, climate things, gender things. Uh, spying on Americans with CISA and DHS. I mean, these are big programs that are bringing in a lot of people that now we need to look at and say, hey, what are these actually doing anything? Are they actually just you know, harming Americans? Yep, I, I agree. And uh, speaking of censorship, I'm
0: going to be doing, uh, you guys know that I do a lot of spaces, Tracy and I do a lot of spaces on uh, the Missouri v. Biden case. We've been covering it for almost a year now. There will be some more updates coming up. There's some things to talk about. I'll have a space on that. But the next space, as far as in this series, this is part one, we're going to do, do the immigration uh, plan. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's a 902-page book put out by the Heritage Foundation. And many, many people, many, very smart people with opposing ideologies, with opposing views that believe that this was the best plan going forward for an administration to transition to in 2025. Um, but we, were, we will be getting into the immigration part next uh, just take a look at it. It's called the Mandate for Leadership, the Project 2025 Presidential Transition Project. I've linked it down below. And if you do want to get involved, I've also linked you directly to project2025.org where you can get involved. We heard from Aaron, uh, who used to work for the Department of Homeland Security and very passionate about immigration. Hopefully we are going to get some members uh, that helped draft the section on immigration from Heritage Foundation and many other groups into the space as well. So we're going to schedule that next. Uh, Justin, go ahead.
4: Yeah, I, I think actually, you know, the size of the federal workforce is a is a pretty good measure if you're having an impact on things. But let's not fool ourselves. Payrolls across the federal government are not the issue, right? Like, if you want to educate yourself and get the, the actual data, you can Google uh, historical tables, White House, and that's going to take you to the White House OMB office where they have all the historical tables of what's in every budget and table 3.1 gives you the outlays by super function. You should get to know these terms too, just because it's how the the government speaks to these terms. Right. And so when we look at, for example, 2023, it's like a $6.3 trillion outlay of the budget. That's how much the government's going to spend. About 800 billion goes to national defense. $4.4 trillion goes to human resources, which is basically health, Medicare, income security, social security, and then you add veterans benefits to that. So 75% of everything that we spend is basically the the safety net. It's the net. And we don't we don't we don't make a dent in either the inflation yield curves and everything else. Or the reason why our debt is skyrocketing on a massive amount, isn't because the government is spending so much more. They are a little bit. The main portion of the debt is that Social Security, Medicare, all these things have become hugely expensive on the money that we borrow to deal with it, right? So if 75% of your budget is all towards like the giveaways, the safety net, um, these are, uh, you know, the, the, the dedicated stuff, uh, the, these are what people expect. And, and so the idea is like, you're going to have to address that. And any platform that doesn't address that is just going to be trimming around the surface. So this, this is something to keep in mind and you should get to know, go, go download that file. And you can see for yourself when people say we spend so much on the national defense, Nah, we spend as much on, for example, Medicare in a single year as we do on the global national defense budget so just keep that in mind as as you're looking at this that getting rid of a bunch of employees will actually be the metric indicator that we're having success on changing things as where we spend a government and narrowing down the cost there it's not going to be the leading edge you're not going to save the gov- you're not going to save the country you're not going to eliminate the debt by eliminating federal employees that's not where all the money
2: is going that, that's a great point, Justin. Uh, the, big, the bigger money is in, the, in the, the programs themselves. And if you look at the, the amount of spending ramp up that's happened in just since 2019, in four years, you have certain main agencies up 400%, 300%. Um, USDA is up $100 billion. Um, HUD is up $130 billion, just in four years. And I can tell you those two programs, and then it goes into DOT, uh, transportation as well. A lot of that new money that's going out is going to illegals. It, we're we're basically doing concierge service for for you know millions, probably ten million people that have come across in, under Joe Biden, and they're doing it because we have a welfare magnet that needs to get turned off. We need to turn off. It's probably about a trillion a year right now that are funding these. 10 million people because they're in on benefit programs that the swamp agencies, they get a cut of. They're just, they're just a cap rate. They get, you know, they're cut, they're 10, 20, 30% cut on all that money just to set up these concierge programs to give stuff away to illegals. That has to be shut down. That, I mean, all of it, 100% of it needs to be shut down right away.
4: Entitlement spending, that was the word I was looking for. All the entitlement spending is is where everything happens it's where all of our yield curves all of our inflation all of the reason that the the budget deficits just ballooned and here's like here's another example the cares act right gave uh, there was this there after the 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 debacle in 2000 with the 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 election there the gore versus bush and waiting on florida and everything they designed the election assistance commission which was designed to help get some type of semblance of community across all the states and sharing information and best practices and everything else there. And that was funded to the tune of about, I think, $400 million then. But that was designed to be spent over 20 years. Well, the CARES Act gave another $400 million to the Election Assistance Commission, and they spent that in two years across the country. And that was for, you know what it was, right? That was for mail-at-home ballots. That was for uh, all, all the drives that they did, they, the states could spend that however they want. California, for example, over 20 years, used the EAC about $39 million. Uh, and then they spent the same amount within a year's time to get their incredible, you know, mail-home pallet thing that just blasts us all to heck and Newsom was able to stay in office. And for 17 states, those policies are still in place. That's why we lost the 2022 election again, was because all of these states didn't change their stupid COVID policies. And you had, you know, usually on off-year elections, the turnout is much lower than presidential elections. Well, it didn't go that much lower because a lot of states still had this mail-home universal ballot thing. And, you know, that's not going to change. And the EAC is going to get more money as they go forward. So, yeah, you got to look at those places that really got the bump. Um, But in the end, unless we start addressing what's going to happen and uh, the, the main thing you could do, guys, the main thing that you could do right now, have more kids. Because, yes. uh, frankly, the, 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 the reality of the piece is we don't have enough kids here to replace the levels. And because Social Security was designed with a certain amount of people paying for you going into retirement, we don't have that anymore. There are no kids to stick the bill with. And that's a big problem in our country and everywhere else, basically, except for one place, the Middle East and, and Africa. And, and so when the fastest growing demographic in the world, in the modern world, has a somewhat fractious relationship with the tenets of Western society, there are going to be issues, and that's something that we have to address. So there's a cultural aspect, and there's an entitlement aspect that are really vital here. And I I don't know if you ever touch on culture on that program, but hopefully we bring a leader into the White House who can help inject a culture of American optimism and people can feel good about having kids again.
1: Thank you for that, Justin. Yes, have more babies. Save the American culture. That's exactly... Exactly it, I just wanted to take a second and reset the room guys. Uh, we appreciate you for and everyone in the speaker position for coming in if everyone could retweet this face this is really really important uh, what trash has uh, brought us into with in Heritage Foundation as far as project 2025 is concerned and he made a great great point. Um, this is a way for so many people to get involved and in a major, major way. Um, it's basically a coalition of conservatives working together to you know, safeguard the principles and values and the next president of the United States um, and doing so and coming forth with a comprehensive plan. And I know Erin um, is planning on having many, many spaces to outline this. And it is a wonderful, I haven't gotten through all 900 and I think it's 920 pages yet, but it, it really is um, fantastic. So, um, but the basic, the overview of what project uh, 2025 is, is an effort of conservative organizations that have come together to ensure a successful administration and that begins as soon as the next president takes over in January uh, 2025 um, with right conservative policies and recommendations Then train personnel uh, uh, to implement these changes um, and basically getting rid of you have your, your, your deep state sleepers that are in non-essential positions that typically stay throughout administrations. Um, and Trash made a great, great point earlier. I hope I'm not rubber banding too much. Um, great point earlier. If you don't, don't want to get involved on a state and county level, but you want to do something right. You want, you, you know, you feel like you're, you are meant for more, right. But you don't want to be a man, right. You don't want to be a delegate for your state. You have an opportunity to be involved with project 2025, uh, which Trash has put in our comments, he's pinned on his page. Um, He is, you know, he is pieced together in bite-sized pieces, ways for just the average person, right, to understand what is going on. Uh, But you can go to project2025.org and you can actually apply. You will be deeply vetted. If chosen, you will go through extensive training um, in order to be prepared for, for, you know, becoming a part of basically the next president's administration, um, and different, um, you know, cabinet positions or appointments, whatever the case may be. Um, and we do have Robert Bose in here as well who helped with project 2025. So we are very honored to have him here. Um, but if anyone has any questions, please, please, please request a mic and, yeah, so I just wanted to reset the room, please, you guys. Um, I had to step away for a little bit, but I'm back. So, um, yeah, just wanted to reset the room uh, real quick for Aaron. No,
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Savvy. and and everything you pointed out is, is is spot on. And and guys, I am looking in the comments to see if there are any questions uh, for for Robert or, or anybody on the on the panel or in regards to this project 2025 i remember and again this is so funny i i got a hold of it i just i I got a hold of it and i was like hey uh savvy check this out we probably need to go into this and we've been planning on doing it like just doing a series on it because again these are solutions not complaining and and then i started seeing uh where in social media and other platforms that they're starting to already run interference and trying to to cement lies about what this actually is and saying that it's going to be an insurrection and, and it's going to be a total dictatorship and blah, 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 which is just panic, you know, deep state panic, because, again, this is existential for some folks who have had it very comfortable, very easy, you know, for, through each administration, just staying in these positions and, and executing bad policy. And so this is an effort to actually change and get good policy in there, get good people into these positions, see what what fat needs to be trimmed. And there are, like I said, you go look at it, the people involved that, that and, and Robert pointed out earlier, the people involved in this, not everyone agrees. There's not an ideological one sided uh, argument to this that a lot of people that were brought into this uh, were, you know, arguing against their own self-interest in a lot of, in many ways. And there was a lot of compromise and there was a lot of debate. This is a very robust uh, plan that was put together by very, very smart people, people that are smarter than myself. And so I just thought it would be important that we should be talking about it instead of what congresswoman woman ate for dinner yesterday. Like, it's really irrelevant to me. That's not that's not putting food on the table and, and, and getting my gas cheaper and getting a hold of this just bloated, oversized government that we have. And so if you look through the sections, right, so section one is taking the reins of government. That's kind of what we've been going over today, talking about the Office of Personnel Management uh, that was established in 1978 under the Civil Services Reform Act to put a check on the permanent expert class that FDR wanted to create inside the government that would be a legacy living beyond him. Section two is about the uh, defense, so the common defense. So this is talking about international development, homeland security, Department of State, Department of Defense. Number three, general welfare. So we're talking about the Department of Agriculture, Education, Energy. Uh, The EPA, Health and Human Services, and Housing and Urban Development, and and so on and so forth. Section four is on the economy, so various different economical offices, Treasury, Commerce, etc. Section five, independent regulatory agencies, right? So you're talking about the SEC, you're talking about the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau, the FTC, the FEC, Elections Commission. Uh, Federal Communications Commission FCC, and it's breaking down all these different appointments that would be within the cabinet. But then everyone below that, and, and what what uh, James Bacon was talking about in the clip I, I pointed out played earlier, was the the DMV level class, uh, the 2.25 million employees that that there really has no bearing. The president has really no bearing on that. There is no check there. And then also what we were talking about here in section one was this massive layer between all of the cabinet. Uh, the president's cabinet members, uh, and and how policy was actually run. And a lot of these people within these within these uh, different groups within the White House were actually kind of dictating to the, the cabinet members that were selected by the president on what policy should be. And that just seems backwards, right? And so we need to get a handle on this. And it's removing the layers between the president and actually having authority and power over his administration or his or her administration moving forward. So that's what this is about and uh, I think it's healthy for any group. Granted, it, this is coming from Heritage Foundation. It's very much conservative principles and values, but I, again, I think this is overall good for the American public, even if I disagree with you politically. It's, overall, it's, I believe it to be better for for everybody to be acknowledging this. So yeah, Savvy, go ahead.
1: I also wanted to touch on you know a lot of you know, especially I've done the same thing as far as the conservatives were like, OK, well, what's the plan? What's the plan? Right. This is a wonderfully thought out plan, a very um, in-depth plan. Right. And it. let's also note that there is a playbook. It's a 180 day playbook book for this plan to be put in action y'all that's less than six months because this isn't like having a judiciary committee hearing where you've got to hear all of this and then you've got to wait for this and wait for that well when is this going to happen how long is this going to take this this project 2025 answers all of the questions um it has a Concrete transition plan for each federal agency, which I think is important to note too, because that's what we have been fighting as conservatives. I mean, we have been fighting against agencies now for a really long time, um, and it, the implement it, the implementation of specific action plans at each agency level, um, and it's, it's basically a roadmap, right? get not only the office of the presidency, um, but the administration around that president back on track and where it to be. And to your point, um, Aaron, this isn't just a conservative issue. This is something that both sides of the aisle, you would think would want to get behind um, much like a free and fair elections. It should be a bipartisan thing. Um, I'm very excited. And I, I'm very proud of what, you know, the Heritage Foundation, Robert, um, and Project 2025, what they have put forth. It does, it has worked. Reagan has used parts of this plan, the mandate for leadership. President Trump did for a little bit, like it does, it does work. Um, but and in it, and it, it doesn't, it won't take very long. So I just wanted to add that little note, if if that wasn't discussed earlier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, so we're going to do, uh, I'm, going to keep, I'm going to keep this ongoing. And, and guys, you have to bear with me. Uh, my voice is like, it's almost gone now at this point. I, I'm trying very hard to keep it. Uh, so when we do the next space, we're going to be doing it on immigration and we're going to kind of break down. And I'm hoping that some folks from Heritage or other groups uh, involved in this can start to discuss the immigration policy. We're going to actually get to the nuts and bolts of it. This is just an introductory kind of overview maybe get people reading it, taking a look at it. Uh, and so moving forward, I think we'll have some robust spaces and conversations. I think that's necessary uh, moving forward. So that's what this was kind of about. And like I said, I've, I've gone through like four, four bottles of water now trying to keep my voice. And it, as you guys can hear, it is fading. <laughs> I use my voice for 13 hours a day all last week for my actual job. So <laughs> I'm losing it. But uh, yeah, Justin, get in here. and We'll probably get some final thoughts from everybody. And then I'll try to get... Uh, I'll try to get the next space scheduled as soon as possible so I can bring in some experts and we can start drilling down on a lot of this
5: stuff.
4: Yeah, I think one of the challenges that we're going to have, and and this is going to be a big problem if Trump becomes president, but it's probably also a big problem if DeSantis gets the nod, which is trying to convince people that they should get involved in politics. Um, For better or worse, you know the republican party is branded in a specific way and i think people have been trying to r- remove those stigmas people have been trying to reach out and show some things there but you know when when you talk about the left and its association with people that work for government okay a lot of them can do this because they come in and out of a lot of nonprofit groups that's why for example my good friend chuck devore uh, who was running for senate out here in california 10 plus years ago and is now part of the TPP, but he used to say, look, we can't have term limits here in California. It would be a very bad thing because one of the challenges is you just have this sort of revolving door on the left from nonprofits into government, whereas most people that are coming in from the right are coming in from other businesses, other industries, and everything else there, and they can't readily make those jumps back and forth, and a lot of people just aren't incentivized there. And to see, for example some of the the bridge burning that has been going on in the last little bit from the Trump campaign on all of his cabinet members. Like, I don't believe there is a single Senate-confirmed cabinet member of Trump's that supports him in this election. I could be wrong. Maybe there's one or two I'm missing. But the vast majority of them have disavowed him. And that's really unfortunate because I keep thinking, who are you going to get in the government? But again, that's going to be a problem for DeSantis, too, if he gets the nod, which is, who are you going to find that's going to put their reputation on the line? That may end up in jail, right, because of the shenanigans of the government or shenanigans that decisions that people make, right? And so we're gonna have, we have a we have a really big issue. The left has no problem sending their people and churned through the grind machine because they know they have protections from the media, from a law of justice and everything else there. And so on the right, I mean, I can't think off the top of my head um, anyone who would be like the front runner for let's say the department of the treasury or the department of commerce or transportation or anything else there that cabinet is going to be really tough to fill especially when you realize that you could take it on the chin on the way out
0: yeah i think it remains to be seen i think that that might be more applicable in 2020 i think that a lot of things are changing now and uh, we'll we'll see where this all goes but uh the only thing we can do is, is hope that this gets more coverage and that those people do reveal themselves. So uh, I know a lot of people are. And for right now, obviously, they're not. They're just doing their own thing. We're early. We're not picking administration yet, even though I have my own personal <laughs> thoughts on that. But again, I promised not to make this a, a, a primary political space because um, I wanted to do this after the fact. But this needs to be discussed because I'm seeing now bootlickers and and establishment mouthpieces are already trying to run interference on. So it's time to talk about it. So uh, let me get some closing thoughts. Uh, Robert, do you have any closing thoughts? And I'll get get it from the panel here before we close out. And to remind everybody again, uh, I I don't have a specific scheduled time because everyone's busy, Uh, but when I can get some folks, uh, some experts on the matter, we're going to do the immigration bit. We're going to start there. I think it seems prescient given our geopolitical problems that we're having right now. So I think that we should probably delve into that and we'll bring some good guest speakers. We'll have some great panelists and we're going to start unwrapping the nuts and bolts of this. So I don't know, Robert, if you have any final thoughts on this or if any, any, uh, anyone, anything, anyone needs to know, uh, it'd be great.
2: Sure. Thank you. This is a great, great space on, on the nuts and bolts of what, what policy implementation will happen with the next conservative administration. Um, And, you know, that's looking like it's a Trump, a Trump administration. Uh, Secretary Carson, loyal all along, just endorsed President Trump. There, there are many others that, that didn't get uh, co-opted. There's a lot of great people in this in this project and team. Chuck DeWore is one of them. That, uh, Russ Vote, um, OMB. Um, there's there's a bunch of people that are that are helping on this. And oh, and I want to mention that there's a similar type of project going on with. America First Policy Institute, AFPI, is doing a complementary transition team as well, where they're doing their own training. They've got a bunch of, you know, people that have been um, cabinet heads that are backing Trump that are doing, you know, complementary work more on kind of a different type of um, training for transition people coming into the administration. So it's really... And they're they're working together with Heritage as well too. So, I think um, more more to discuss on as we dig into the next series. And hopefully, we'll have some other guests from Heritage or some of the uh, chapter contributors, like on immigration. There's some really good writers that were have uh, very thoughtful uh, ideas on that as well. So, thank you very much for putting on the space.
0: No, Robert, and I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to go check out the FPI as well. Um, I heard heard about it, but I have not really delved into it. So that might be something that I can actually maybe intertwine a little bit um, as the series goes on, because this is going to be a multiple part series. Uh, everyone can have spaces on Israel and Palestine. Um, everyone can have spaces on I don't know whatever good you know mom joke that they heard. Uh, but we're going. This is where I'm. This is my lane from now on. This and the Missouri v. Biden censorship stuff. This is probably where you're going to find me most, uh, is in these lanes. Uh, so um, really good things coming out of that Missouri v. Biden case, we'll have spaces on that. But I'm going to go check out the AFPI, I'll, I'll find the link guys and try to see if I can intertwine the two. And Robert, thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to uh, getting some of these experts on the panel moving forward and maybe we'll be able to determine what series we move on past immigration because there's so much to tackle. Probably Department of Justice would probably be up on that list after immigration. So we'll <laughs> we'll get there too. Um, but uh, any any final thoughts from anybody up on the on the panel? And I appreciate you guys for being here today. Uh, in the future, these will probably be longer. It's just that I won't have a voice to drive the drive the conversation. And honestly, this is just an overview, just a, a kind of a primer to get people into it. Because that way you can really start to build this out. So um, if anybody has any final thoughts, savvy uh, anybody, yeah, go ahead. Hun.
1: Yes, I'm already looking into the AFPI. I'm very excited about them, too. <laughs> so thanks for all bringing our attention. But this is, I'm really, really excited about this. And I, you know, I am a, let's go ahead and tackle this and get this out to the masses now instead of waiting until after the primaries, because we need to prepare. This isn't just for President Trump. There, This is this is only the beginning, this is putting politics policies into place or putting personnel into place that will be able to take the reins after president trump um because four years goes very very quickly so if we have people that are involved within project 2025 and you know it's in using the resources right using the tools that they are putting in place that is Nothing but beneficial to me, so I really appreciate you, Trash, for putting together your thread. Y'all all need to check out his Missouri v. Biden thread too. It's pinned to his page. It's incredible. And I'm just, I'm just very excited. And Jen, I hope you feel better. And Justin, I love being in this there. We don't argue. Love you, buddy.
0: It's awesome. Love you too. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate it. And all right, Fred, guys.
4: Trash take. Take a little warm water, some vinegar, and a couple <laughs> tablespoons of honey. Mix it up. Gargle with it. As a former professional voice recorder,
0: that's, that's your ticket. Just gargle with that, and you're good to go. See, and I, I thought it was a little too early to be drinking whiskey, so that's actually good to note. So I, <laughs> I will, I'm not going to do the whiskey. <laughs> All right, guys. I appreciate you, Justin. I appreciate you, everybody, on the panel. Uh, look forward to part two. Uh, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to get this scheduled quickly. Um, if I don't hear back from a bunch of people, I'll just go ahead and schedule it. Typically people will mold their schedules to it. If I need to change the time, just keep an eye out for that. But, uh, uh, part two will be immigration. I'm already going to call it now, unless something weird happens in the world or something that we really need to tackle. Uh, part three will probably be on the department of justice and the defense section. So, uh, that's what we'll do. And, uh, I appreciate everyone being here and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks.
1: Bye, everyone. Have a great day.